So, we are on quite... I, I think this passage is quite difficult, actually, this morning, which uh, is designed to put you off straight away. Uh, but, so, without going into any more, let's, let's read it together. The words of Jesus, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the, not the least stroke of the pen, if you were a King James Version person, that would be jot and tittle. Yes. <laughs> Which part of the Hebrew Aramaic language. Anyway, where was I? Not the smallest, at least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that's an amen actually, it's very important, where in John he says it twice, amen, amen, <coughs> truly, truly, this is an important word. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, scribes, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is an important word. It's not an easy word, but it's one that God wants to minister to us through. You know, when Matthew wrote his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, we, we often say, well, he wrote with Jewish Christians particularly in mind, not neglecting others, but particularly in mind like that. But there are other things which we don't often consider. And many scholars believe that when Matthew, Mark, Luke, John wrote their, their histories of Jesus, not only were they wanting people to know the facts and the teachings and, and to get the meaning of what Jesus said, but they were addressing particular issues that were in the church that they knew at the time. And so they would pull together the teaching of Jesus to answer some problems that they were facing. Now I believe this has happened here. That Matthew is facing, in the churches that he knows, two groups. And I'm going to personalise this and, and present to you two fictional, but probably real, Jesus followers. And the first one is this. We'll call him or her the freedom fighter. Now hang on, I'm not talking about guns and bullets here. But we're talking about those who said, we're not under law, let's get rid of all the laws. So they were rejoicing in what we know as the grace, the gift, 
the undeserved kindness and love of God. We're not under law. Let's get rid of them. We're free. We're free. Now, you might think we don't identify with people like that. Let's, you know, we don't think that. But actually, in our attitude and behaviour, we can sometimes at least reflect a bit of that. Well, that little lie didn't matter, did it? Or that little bit of gossip didn't hurt anyone, did it? Or the fact that, well, that little bit of shoplifting, well, I feel a bit guilty, but, you know, it's not big, is it? It's not murder. And we can easily get into that sort of position. That's a bit of a challenge. The other group, let's call the representative the other group, the potential Pharisee. They look at this thing and say, oh no, the law is God's word. Our lives must at least be equal to the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees tend to get a bad press quite rightly in in many respects. But the Pharisees were very keen to obey God's law. And in fact, they were so keen that they put around all sorts of other rules and regulations to make sure that they and others obeyed God's law. And Matthew could easily have been facing a group of Christians who said, well, We can't be any less than they are. Let's obey the rules. And we think we don't get into that, do we? No, we don't. I mean, a dear friend of mine at college, these are in early days, we're not in high-tech. When I was in college, understand it wasn't high-tech days. You know, we didn't have all this stuff. We did, we, actually, we did have reel-to-reel video recording, but never mind. <laughs> but a, a dear friend of mine, he said, he said, I can't understand my mother. Don't say yes, anybody, to that. <laughs> I can't understand. He, I said, we, he said, you know, we can watch television Monday to Saturday, but not on Sunday. We can listen to the radio on Sunday, but not television because you can see what they're doing. (laughs) I kid you not. I kid you not. That was a sort of funny legalism, but we can easily get into, into sort of keeping the rules. You know, and it is keeping the rules that matter. Now, if we look at the words of Jesus here, we can see that they speak into both of these situations. To the first one, verses 17 to 19, and to the second situation, verse 20. Let's see how that happens and what we can learn from it. So, verse 17, where where Jesus says, he says, 
Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Question, how is the law, and let's not forget the prophets, how is the law fulfilled? Answer, the law and the prophets, the laws fulfilled in Jesus. How does Jesus fulfill the law? Is it that we can look at the life of Jesus, the wonderful, magnificent, grace-filled, powerful life of Jesus and say, he kept every commandment? Well, let's face it, folks, Jesus was without sin. He didn't do anything wrong. So in that sense, Jesus kept the law. He, his life was in strict 100% alignment with what God his father wanted he fulfilled the law in that way but that, that doesn't account for the prophets why does he mention the prophets in this verse and not again and the answer is this I believe if you read the prophets, you can see that they point towards Jesus. Sometimes generally, but often specifically. Hear what the prophet Isaiah says about the child to be born through the virgin. Hear what the prophet Isaiah says about the suffering servant who takes on himself our sin. Hear what the prophet Isaiah says about that same suffering servant seeing what he has achieved. And that's just one example. All the way through the prophets we can see a, a fulfilment in Jesus. And that's true of the law. All the sacrifices in your favourite book of the Bible, Leviticus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, be honest, it is hard. It is hard. But just think of it in this way. All those sacrifices fulfilled where? In Jesus. He's the Lamb the sacrificial lamb. He's the Passover lamb. He's the scapegoat that takes on himself and takes away our sin and evil and failure. He's the peace offering, the one that brings us peace with God. And on and on we could go. So, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in that way. Everything points to him. So, that affects our view of the law. We don't look at the law as they did in Old Testament times, but we look at the law through the eyes, if you like, of Jesus. Now, in the rest of of this chapter particularly, Jesus gives us his, his, well I'm just going to say reinterpretation, his new interpretation of the law. I'm not going to go into that. Let me point you to one example that's not here. 
There was a day when Jesus and his disciples, they were walking through the fields. It was the Sabbath. What don't you do on the Sabbath? You don't work. But there, they were hungry, and the disciples were plucking out ears of corn. And he's eating it. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Oh, the critics thought it was wrong. You don't do that. It's work. Here comes Jesus' reinterpretation of God's word, God's law. And he said, man, people, were not made for the Sabbath, the day of rest, but the Sabbath was made for man, for people. The, the Sabbath wasn't God's idea at, and then say, well, I might have people obey the Sabbath. It's the other way round. Here we are and out of God's grace, kindness, goodness, love, he's given us a day of rest. So law is transformed into grace. You get that? So, my friend's mother and, and the, the television and the radio and all that, funny, yeah, it's wrong. We weren't made to obey the rules, but that day was made for us to enjoy God's love and grace. And that's the way we have to look at the law. We don't deny it's the word of God, of course not. But we look at it through the eyes of Jesus. Through grace, right. Verse 18, what does he say in verse 18? He says, he says, nothing is going to disappear from the law. Not even, yes, the old jot and tittle. But that they were little strokes that were important. They were important in the language, in writing it down. And Jesus says, you, you cannot take away even the tiniest bit from the law. So why is that so important? Well, the answer is this. Because all of it is God's word. The whole of it. When you're reading Leviticus, when you're reading the five books of Moses, the law, when you're reading the history, the former, or the former prophets, when you're reading the latter prophets, what are you reading? You're not just reading the Bible, you're reading the Word of God. That is what we believe. The inspired Word of God as originally given. And by extension, then that includes the New Testament as well. Good reasons for doing that. I'm not going to go into that this morning. But that is the word of God. And Jesus is, is laying down a real principle here. He's saying you don't mess with God's word. Because it's all, all important. We don't take anything away from it. So what's the application here? We allow all of God's word to speak to us of Jesus. It's so important. Why doesn't Jesus want anything taken away? Because it all speaks about him, ultimately. Now, let's not be mechanical in this. 
I do not believe you find specific references in every page of the Old Testament to the Son of God. I don't. That would be stretching it. But what I do believe is this, that the whole of Bible history, the whole of the law and sacrificial system, the whole of the prophetic words draws us closer and closer to Jesus. There are specific words about him and there is the general revelation that is fulfilled in him. He's the Messiah. He's the one that the, the people of God were expecting. He's the one. He is the Christ, which means anointed one. He's our Messiah. He's our Christ. And all of, all of Revelation points towards him, as does the New Testament, if you like, pointing backwards. Magnificent words in, in the beginning of John backs this up. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word spoke the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He is God. He is God's complete, final, perfect revelation. If you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. It's as simple as that. That's the way to know God. To know Jesus. And the whole of Revelation points, the Bible points to him. So, that's verse 18. And the last one about fulfilling the law, what does Jesus say in verse 19? Anyone who breaks even the least of these commandments and teaches others to do otherwise, the same, is the least in the kingdom. So, how should we treat the law now? Because this isn't just a history lesson, this is about today. How should I treat the law? Let me give you a very simple answer. We treat the law with the greatest respect. Jesus says, if, you, if you're going to teach that you can break any part of the law, then you'll be least in the kingdom. Notice, you don't lose your salvation. Thank God. You're still in the kingdom. Is there status in the kingdom? I'm not sure, but we better take note of that. Ooh. But we treat the law with the greatest respect. So the application is this. Oops, we don't pick and choose from the word of God. My goodness. You read through the Old Testament and you see some of the laws and you think, oh, I, tell you what I think, wish that one there. <laughs> uh, I bet you've had the same idea. It would be much easier if God hadn't put that in. That's in the Old Testament. And then we come to the New. And here we are in the world of grace and freedom and love and kindness and goodness and we read something that Paul says and says, oh, 
I wish he hadn't put that. Or why why did why did Peter say this about, about that? I mean it's tough, isn't it? It is. There are things in the scriptures that you and I don't like. We wish they were not there. Let's be honest. But hear me. Don't don't then quote that and say that I'm a now raging liberal. <laughs> Let me go on. But we know we are reading the word of God. I may not like it. But I need then to get my thinking in line with God's thinking. And to say, why has God said that? And that's ever so important these days, folks. Because we have a lot of things going on in society which go against the word of God, which are fact saying, oh no, you don't want that in the Bible. If we could either take it out or reinterpret it drastically, then that's fine. Let's pray that the Queen's, sorry, she's gone, the King's speech. <laughs> I can't get out of the habit of saying I mean I've been doing it all my life for goodness sake, nearly uh, anyway <laughs> let's pray that the king's speech if it's going to have uh, anti-conversion therapy stuff that it allows Christians to still preach the good news of Jesus properly Let's pray about that. We don't pick and choose from the word of God. Most of it is wonderful. Some of it is, is challenging. And some of it is difficult. But it's all God's word. So that, they're the principles. That's the way the law is fulfilled. And thank God we're not under law. We're under his grace. So, there's another group of people who are saying, let's be like the Pharisees. How does Jesus answer that in verse 20? Well, he more or less says, be like the Pharisees, come off it, you've got to outdo them. What? Your righteousness has got to be greater than theirs. That's what he says not equal but beyond and you would look at that and I look at that and I listen to Jesus and I expect his hearers to his disciples thought that is impossible and it is in our own strength of ourselves it is utterly impossible so what is Jesus saying here? I believe he is, when he says your righteousness must exceed that, he's talking about righteousness in a different way. The Pharisees wanted to be righteous by what they did. 
So they were made sure that they, they, they did the right things at the right time, all the food laws, washing of hands, etc., etc. They made sure that they, they did the right things. But Jesus is here saying, that's not good enough because actually they're not even in the kingdom. Do you notice that? Teaching wrongly doesn't totally disqualify you in verse 19, but in verse 20, they're not in the kingdom. Because following rules never gets you into the kingdom of God. It didn't then, it doesn't now. We need to depend on God and live our, our dependence on him. Hey, we, you see, we've been talking about, we've forgotten the Beatitudes, the blessings, at the beginning. And what did we say? We have to understand all of Jesus' teaching in the light of that. So you rip these verses and isolate them out. You rip them out and isolate them. You, you forget the blessings beforehand. The Beatitudes. What did Jesus say in those? We must depend entirely on God and live out that dependence. And that, that means his grace, his power, his love. We need to reject the DIY religion of the Pharisees and depend and receive God's grace and love and power. You know, I grew up with DIY religion when I was a kid. I did. Now, I am sure in my parents' church at the time there were godly people who loved Jesus. I'm sure of it. And in fact, there were two ministers, it was a Methodist church, there were two ministers, uh, one who used to talk to me quite a lot about all the problems that I was facing about evolution and that sort of stuff, which we were being taught at school then. And he used to sit down with, with me and talk about it from a Christian point of view. That was great. Another minister who followed him, when he left, he went to Canada. I think he escaped Suffolk, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> When he left, he went to Canada, and he, he before he, he gave me some books, and one was uh, of the Imitation of Christ. And I remember, I mean, as I was a middle teenager then, and I looked at it and thought, "Oh, well, that's nice. What do I want these for?" But I believe that man saw something in me. I think that was prophetic. He knew what I was going to do. I think that's looking back. I think that was amazing. But the general tone of what I received in, in, in those days was this. Go to church and do your best. And that's about what it was. Go to, now, at one level, okay. But there was no, nothing about really having a relationship with Jesus. It was go to church and do your best and then as many of you will know I was nagged into going to the local Baptist <coughs> youth group she's still my friend uh, <laughs> and there I saw a totally different expression of people who knew the one they were talking about what a contrast. Now I would understand it as changing from law 
to grace. All I knew then is I found reality. And that was great. So let's reject DIY religion. It's never going to get anywhere. But let's fulfill the law in the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that all that points us to Jesus. So, we met two people at the beginning. Come on, where have you got to? Hello. Move it on. Can you move it on, Alec? Thank you very much. I don't know what happened there. He, this, this person didn't want to appear. Let's see if I can do it now. Yeah, here we go. We've had the freedom fighter and the potential Pharisee. Finally, let's meet the dependent disciple. That's what this is about. We need to look to Jesus and, and follow the law the way that Jesus wants. And we rely on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of this stuff you just can't do. You can't. But with his grace, his power, his presence, all things are possible. Thank you, Jesus. It's not about us. Ultimately, it's about him, about you. That's it, folks. That's it. Isn't it good that we're drawn to Jesus? Right, whatever, whatever you're facing, whatever's going on, whatever problems, whatever situations, whatever puzzles, whatever conundrums, whatever uh, disputes we might have uh, within ourselves about God, what God wants us to do or believe, whatever, the answer is his grace. And let me tell you this, his grace is always sufficient. There's not a situation that it's not. There's not, a, there's not a problem that you face. There's not uh, a difficulty that you encounter. There's not an illness that, that uh, invades us. There's nothing. There is absolutely nothing where his grace is not sufficient. It always is. And his power is always made perfect in his weakness. Not his weakness, ours. And yet he was weak, you see. When he died on the cross, in the place of weakness, we find the greatest victory of all. His power is perfected when we are weak because out of his weakness, he gives us his strength. And he died in that weak place, in the place where he took upon himself all the failure and the, and the evil of humanity and the, the whole fallen world. He took that upon himself and he gave us life and he gives us life and he wants to give other people life and if you're finding that that life is difficult at the moment then his grace is sufficient it is so let's, let's, let's just bow before the Lord let's just be quiet let's ask him to minister to us there are people here who need healing of the body there are people here who need healing of the emotion. There are people here who 
maybe just wonder what on earth's going on but his grace is sufficient always is what he can do where there's that that crack which was disappointment he can turn it into a flood a flood of the spirit where we're laid low he can raise us up so Lord just come to us where we are just speak to us in our present situation minister to us please Lord the grace and the mercy that we need right now not what other people think I need but what you know I need and Lord we pray that not just for us as individual people bowing before you but Lord I want to pray that for us as a church that at this moment with the challenges of the hive ahead with the changes that will come upon us with all the issues that have to be dealt with that you'll minister your grace to us you keep us together and that we will prove we will prove that it's all about Jesus and it ultimately isn't about us and we thank you Lord we praise you this morning because you are good and your mercy endures forever Amen <laughs>